0: going to ask you to turn your Bibles tonight to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Now the context, I don't want to pull anything out of context, but I don't want to read the context that, it's, uh, that these, this verse of Scripture that I'm going to use is in. Uh, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God to Israel who is in rebellion at that point in time, and he's giving them some specific instructions. So in verse 15 it says, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. Uh, Other translations say something like, but you won't have it that way. In other words, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God to the people that are in rebellion, that have turned away from the things of God. And Isaiah is telling them on behalf of God, very simply, you don't have to struggle. You don't have to work yourself up in the flesh. And then he says, and this is a part of the verse I want to focus on. He says, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, the Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it's verse 2, it says, We which have believed do enter into rest. And Paul talks a lot about, Paul. assuming Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews, I believe he is. Paul talks a lot about uh, working yourself to get into that rest but it seems to me that there are so many things today in the in the modern day church and um well just present day ministry there seems to me so much of a struggle on people's part there seems to be such uh effort of the flesh that people are trying to exercise or using or whatever and um and and the impression is left in many cases i guess but that's the only way that you can make it with god i know it's a, it's a characteristic of young folks to always uh, think that they need to add their energy to the things of god to make it work but god doesn't need your energy he's looking for your faith in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength look with me over to mark chapter 11 These are some verses that we're all familiar with. We'll start in verse 12. It says, "And on the morrow when they were come down from Bethany he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not." Skip down with me to verse 20. "And in the morning, coming back by that way, as they passed by they saw the fig tree dried up by the roots, or from the roots. And Peter calling to remember and said unto him, Master," Behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering them said, Get mad at the devil. Jesus answering them said, You've got to really work hard to make this work. I wonder what Jesus sounded like when he cursed the fig tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. I don't read in that that Jesus was mad at the tree or the devil or anybody else. He just spoke what he wanted to happen. He just spoke the end result. No man ate fruit of thee hereafter forever. And Jesus explaining this to his disciples simply said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, we see a couple of times in Jesus' ministry where he lost his temper. Well, he didn't lose his temper. He used his temper. It was righteous anger when he drove the money changers out of the temple. There were a couple of times, uh, one in particular in John chapter 7, where Jesus stood up in the uh, time of the feast and cried with a loud voice. Uh, saying something about the Holy Ghost, which would come after his uh, resurrection. But for the most part, Jesus was calm as can be. For the most part, the vast most part, vast majority, Jesus is just going around operating according to who he knew himself to be and who he knew his father to be. He didn't have to make an outward show. He didn't have to draw attention to himself he just did what he was sent to do and he explains what that is he said have faith in God for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith. therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray believe that you receive them and you shall have them And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. I want you to look with me now to uh, Mark chapter 9. Beginning in verse 14, it says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people when they beheld him were greatly amazed and running to him saluted him and he asked the scribes what question are you with them. And one of the multitude answered and said master I have brought unto thee my son which has a dumb spirit and wheresoever he taketh him he tears him and he foams and gnashes with his teeth and he pines away and I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out and they could not. Jesus answered him and said "O faithless generation he's identifying the man's lack of faith. O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And when they brought him unto Jesus, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And his father said, since he was a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. You can see the desperation on the part of the father. Understandably so. I'm not putting him down for it. Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now, you tell me if I'm misreading this. But the picture that I get whenever I read this story is Jesus is just as cool as can be. Jesus is not anxious that the disciples couldn't cast out the evil spirit. He's not anxious about the fact that the father is not exhibiting any faith and faith is necessary to make it happen. He's just as cool as can be. He doesn't look at the father saying, well, I really wish I could help your son, but you're not operating in faith. There's no evidence of faith whatsoever. So I guess you're going to have to wait until you grow enough in the knowledge of God and what I was sent here to do. Then maybe if I'm still around, I can help you. Jesus is as cool as can be. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Now, folks, I would submit to you, and, and I'm just thinking from a natural human standpoint, I'm assuming this is true. Might, might be, might not, but you decide for yourself. But I'm assuming that the Father is looking at this thing as a hopeless situation. He's been looking to come to Jesus. He can't find Jesus. Jesus is off with a couple of his disciples at the Mountain of Transfiguration when he finds the, uh, the rest of his disciple group. The rest of the 12, they identified that they've been given authority over evil spirits. They can do something about this, and they fail. Now, Jesus comes, and the man starts talking to Jesus, hoping, I'm sure, maybe Jesus can do something about this. But then Jesus turns the tables and says, it's not about what power I've got. It's about what you can believe. I'm guessing also that the father, when he cried with tears, saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, he doesn't know what to believe. He's just grabbing at something, hoping that something works. But he believed in Jesus to begin with, and so he simply says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's enough for Jesus to work with because Jesus knew who he was. Remember what we just read over in Matthew chapter 11. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Do you realize that the key to pleasing God, to doing works that please God have to do with learning and not physical activity? Again, I'll say it, even as I said it before, God's not looking for our energy. It's not our energy that makes the things of God work. It's not energy that activates faith. It's faith that activates the things of God. Turn back with me now to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. A couple of stories I want to read out of this chapter, but I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and could and no man could bind him, no not with chains, because that he had often been bound with chains and fetters, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, folks, this guy is terrorizing the area. You can see supernatural power at work in his body, in his flesh, by breaking chains off of him and fetters, things that they tried to use on numerous occasions, apparently, to hold him captive, whether for their benefit or trying to help him, we don't know. But Jesus walks right into this situation. And just like every other situation that Jesus encountered, there's no fear in him whatsoever. He's not concerned about how bad a situation is. He's not afraid that he doesn't have enough power. He's not concerned about anything at all because he knows who he is of. He he knows his father sent him. He knows that he and his father are one. Now, let me interject here. Jesus was not more one with the father than you are now through him. Part of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 was that just like you're in me, Father, they'll be in me and you'll be in them. He gave us the same place of oneness with the Father that he had himself. That challenges me. That challenges me because when I do see the things and look at the things that Jesus did in the way that he operated and the confidence that he lived with and lived by that challenges me and so many people I've seen it all for 35 years so many people think that it. Somehow or another, the, 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 the power of God, whether it's healing power of God or the restoration power of God, delivering power of God, the power of God in every respect must be, uh, I don't know, obtained through the work of the flesh. And the Bible says it's not about you. It's about him. So there's no point in you getting all twisted and up, turned up in your flesh. It's about him. So Jesus encounters this guy. Gives us some details about his life up to that point. Verse 6, it says, but when he, the man that was tormented by the devil, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. The evil spirit is the one that motivates this guy, who we can call the madman of Gadara. It's the evil spirit in him that motivates this guy to go fall down in front of Jesus and worship him. And while the guy is worshiping, the evil spirit is the one that speaks, saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? I adjure thee, don't torment me. The devil knows that his time is coming. Evil spirits know that their time is running out. And it seems to be first and foremost on their minds because every time Jesus encounters somebody that has an evil spirit or is demonized, that's the one thing that they talk about. In one case, one asked him, have you come to torment me before the time? I gain comfort from that because the devil who's always trying to make you and I afraid of him and his power, What's first and foremost on the minds of the evil spirits that we have record of in Jesus' ministry is that they know their time is up, coming to a close. So this evil spirit cries out and says, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not, for he, Jesus, had already said to him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So apparently, if we get the, the... order of things correct the man comes and worships jesus as motivated by the evil spirit and what i want you to see by that the reason i keep saying it that way is because every knee shall bow to jesus the evil spirit's bowing to jesus here now that doesn't mean that the the man that's possessed with the devil is operating against his will because that would be impossible But it's the evil spirit that answers Jesus, not the man. Because Jesus said to him, as he came and worshipped him, fell down before him, apparently Jesus said, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Then the evil spirit spoke up and said, what do I have to do with thee? Jesus, thou son of the most high God. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what is thy name? He's talking to the evil spirit. And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we... Are many. Now I want you to notice that. He answers. The evil spirit answers. My name is legion for we. Are many. He's speaking for a bunch of them. We don't know how big a bunch. But he's speaking for a lot of them. And then the the evil spirit beseeches Jesus. He besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Folks there's something about. um, Well the devil is territorial. Let me just say it that way. The devil is territorial. You can go into certain places, certain cities, maybe even certain neighborhoods of uh, the same city, and there'll be different a different presence, a, a different. Uh, I hate to use the word "field," but I don't know what other word to use. A different field of the way the devil operates. Las Vegas has a different field than Los Angeles. San Francisco has a different field to it than either of the other two cities. There's a different operation of the devil in different cities, different geographical locations. So he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country, send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, which was against the law of Moses. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And Jesus forthwith gave them leave. And the the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, and they choked in the sea. They were choked in the sea. And they that fled, that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And when they came to Jesus, now notice verse 15, when they came to Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Now, the Bible's giving us some in- information about the devil and uh, demonic activity this guy had one evil spirit that possessed him but then there were others that were present with him he had the legion the name of the one evil spirits that, that had possessed him was named legion but then there were others that were in him apparently helping to do the work even as the evil spirit had said when they saw the man that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed, and in his right mind, they were afraid. And they that saw it told him how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Now, get what they're doing. They've been dealing with this guy in the tombs for years. They've tried to handle things on their own, in their own ability. They've put him in chains. They've uh, put fetters upon his hands and his feet. And with supernatural strength, certainly a supernatural meaning from the devil, he's broken these things off, tossed them away like they were nothing. But now they sit in clothed, calm, and they were afraid, and they let their, their fear motivate them to ask Jesus to leave. Why would they want Jesus to go away? Some people are so devil conscious and some people just don't want anything to change. that they're not really interested in the things of God. So they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him, begged him, in other words, that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee. And has had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis. How great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Now the next time Jesus comes back around this way. It talks about great multitudes being there. Well the only reason there would be great multitudes there. And at a future date. When here they're asking him to leave, leave their coast. Apart from their territory. The guy that was possessed with the devil and had the legion must have done a fabulous job in telling everybody about Jesus. So much so that the next time around it talks about great multitudes, plural, and it talks about some of the signs and wonders that were done by Jesus in this same place at a future date. Now, what do you see Jesus doing when he encounters this guy? Now, you probably should be aware that the Bible does not make a distinction between the operation of the devil within people in the language, the Greek language. Literally, every one of those people that we have record of in Jesus' ministry or that are mentioned in the four Gospels and even in the book of Acts are identified as being demonized. And demonized is a word that goes anywhere from full-blown possession to just being influenced. It's all the same word. It's the word demonized. Here we have a little bit of different information when it shows us that one was in charge and there were others that were present. So we could say that this is, if not the worst case, one of the worst cases, one of the the strongest cases, perhaps, of demonic activity in an individual in Jesus' ministry. What does Jesus do? He just says, come out. When he balks, Jesus says, what's your name? When he gets the information he needs, he just calmly says, come out of him and don't enter into him anymore. He's not even mad at the devil. He's not even mad at this evil spirit for having rebelled against the things of God by following the devil. Jesus is the epitome it seems to me of that verse in Isaiah 30 in quietness and confidence shall be your strength because Jesus knows what so many people never figure out and that is spiritual force is not enhanced or even released by the emotions of the flesh let's get down a little bit further Well, let's just keep reading. Verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship to the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And then the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched me? Or who touched my clothes? Now I want to stop here long enough to say something. Notice in verse 29, straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself. It doesn't say Jesus felt something. It said Jesus knew something. There's a difference. Her faith brought her results, which she felt. Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. Doesn't tell us that Jesus felt it leave. Just says Jesus was aware of it. So he says, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Let me point something else out about Jesus' ministry in this case. The implication is when the disciple says, uh, answer him, answer his question, Jesus says, who touched my clothes? The disciples say, master, the multitude throngeth thee. That's King James English for saying everybody that can touch you is touching you. The reason everybody is thronging us, pressing up against us, hindering our path is because everybody's trying to touch you. Well, Jesus has to know. It's recorded right here. Jesus knew when the power of God went out of him and into her meaning the woman with the issue of blood so he has to be aware that no power is going out of him when other people are touching him and Jesus does not stop in the middle of the crowd and say no wait everybody wait 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 sit down for a minute let me tell you how this works he doesn't stop and try to explain to the crowd just touching me doesn't do any good You've got to touch me believing that something will happen. You have to have faith in the one who gave me this power for the power to work in you. Folks, why do you think people are trying to touch you? Everybody has heard. Everybody is aware of Jesus healing the sick. And if not, what's the throng there for? What are the multitudes thonging him about? Everybody knows of stories. They've heard stories of people being healed by Jesus ministering to him whether he's laying hands on him whether he's touching his clothes whatever that part we don't know but that's the only reason for there to be a crowd here to begin with and Jesus has to know that the crowd is not getting what is available to them to receive and nobody will convince me that the woman with the issue of blood is the only sick person in the crowd many maybe every person that's reaching out to touch him it's trying to receive healing power. Trying to take hold of healing power. And it's not working for anybody except the woman. And Jesus doesn't try to fix it. So when the woman with the issue of blood touches him in faith. That's totally different than anything else he's experiencing at this point in time. So he winds up telling her. She explains the story to him. And he says in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you whole. I love how that is written and presented because you know as well as I do the power of God that went out of him and into her is what made her whole. But Jesus credits her faith for activating the power when nobody else in the crowd did. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, it means instantly or at the same moment. There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Now, do we see Jesus' demeanor changing? Do we see Jesus saying, Oh, man, this is terrible news? See, Jairus, I had enough power to raise your daughter from the dead if necessary. But the woman that just drew it out of me has taken it. There's nothing I can do now. He doesn't say anything like, well, you asked me for healing, but now this is a totally different thing. None of that matters. Because Jesus knew what he told the father of the boy that had the devil since he was a child in Mark chapter 9. He knew that all things are possible to him that believes. So he quickly, he's quick. But there's no other emotion that's identified or no emotion that's identified. Uh, Quickness is not an emotion. So Jesus quickly turns to the man and says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Because all things are possible to him that believes. Just stick with what you started with. Don't let the news of your daughter, as terrible as it may seem, and as much as you may have to fight your emotions, don't let what you feel about what you heard Change what you said. Because in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So Jesus suffered no man to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, Peter, James and James's brother or John's brother, Peter, John and James, John's brother. He took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee arise. And straightway the damsel rose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment, and he charged them strictly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Now what do we see Jesus doing when he raises the dead as opposed to casting out devils or healing the sick? Can you tell there's any difference in what he does or the way he does it by what's written? I can't. He stares death in the face just like he stared sickness in the face every day when he was here on the earth or during his earthly ministry at least. Not anything else to get wound up about. He didn't scream to make sure he had the devil's attention. He just very simply, very quietly, because of who he knew himself to be and the father and the power of his father in him, he just simply said damsel arise. And she did in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. I was uh, back in uh, nineteen seventy eight I was living in birmingham alabama i was uh, I had finished going to school and I had moved back to Birmingham for a period of time and was really at a point where i didn't know what I wanted to do with my life i didn't have any direction didn't have any plans. The plans that I had weren't working out the way I wanted them to, and so I was just kind of without, uh, I just didn't have any direction. And there was a situation that was taking place. My father had, uh, had passed away, and he had remarried after he and my mom had divorced. He had remarried just a very short time before he died. And as a result of his death, there were a lot of things up in the air as far as the uh, assets and what a state he had. Didn't have a lot of money, but uh, but she was doing everything she could to make sure she got it. And there were some uh, harmful things that were said, unkind things that, that she had said about his wishes and his desire to make sure that my brother and I didn't have anything of his and just a bunch of stuff. None of it was true, I'm sure. But it didn't keep it from hurting just as bad. And so I'm driving in my car through Birmingham, you remember exactly where I was, and I was complaining to the Lord about it. I was telling God how unfair this was, what an evil woman this that she was, how wrong what she was doing was, and just everything you can think of, everything you can imagine. I was probably saying it. And, uh, and the Lord let me rant for about 10 minutes. And finally, when I ran out of breath, and got quiet he said something he spoke something to my heart he said Proverbs 24 verse 10 to me he quoted the verse to me now at that time I really can't claim to have been a student of the word and if I had ever read Proverbs 24 verse 10 then it would have had to be because part of a daily Bible reading or something like that I certainly had not committed to memory didn't know it was there or at least I didn't know that I knew it was there and here's what he said. He said, if you, f- if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, folks, i got to tell you, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. I wanted him to sympathize with me. I wanted him to agree with me. I wanted God to tell me how bad she was and how wrong what she was doing really was. I wanted all those things that would satisfy or soothe my emotions Calm me down, and all that other type of stuff. I wanted him to tell me how I was going to come out on top, that I'd get everything that my dad left for me or wanted me to have or whatever. But he said, if you faint the day of adversity, your strength is small. Folks, from that moment, that started for me a quest to try to handle things the way Jesus did. There were times in Jesus' ministry where they wanted to kill him, throw him off the edge of a cliff in one case, and Jesus, just cool as a cucumber, walked right to the middle of them. Now, I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure if that means that he uh, was hidden from their eyes, if he was able to just walk through the crowd and they didn't know where he was, or if it was just something about who he was and the way he was operating according to the will of God that they wanted to take him and they couldn't touch him. I don't know what it means. Maybe it means something else besides those two options. I don't know. But I don't see Jesus ruffled about anything ever. He got mad when the money changers had perverted the use of the temple, the purpose of the temple. But even in that, he didn't sin. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Two verses of scripture I want you to see. One is in verse 23, the other is in verse 35. But the instruction, the point of these scriptures is very simply this the instruction that the Bible gives us in our hardest places, in our greatest trials, in our biggest attacks, is very simple. Notice verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. That's it. The word profession is the word translated confession throughout the rest of the New Testament. He says just keep saying the right thing. Just keep saying the right thing. Yeah, but the devil has made some real big threats against us. And it looks like we're going under. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering for he's faithful to promised. And then in verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. I truly believe, I have proved it out in certain areas, I'm proving it out in other areas. But I truly believe that one of the things that brings God glory is when we do not let ourselves get wound up Or affected by our emotions, even when the devil's throwing his best stuff at us. I don't know about you, but I want to know. I want to experience victories when the devil threw everything he had. I know not every victory is that way. I know not every battle is a battle to the end. but I want the victories that I win to be accompanied with the knowledge that the devil had, every, had threw at me everything that he had at his disposal. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, the doctor has come back with a diagnosis that says it's worse than it used to be. Hold fast your profession of faith. The devil's going to remind you of that diagnosis or that prognosis to try to affect you and make you waver from what you started with. That's kind of like Jairus when he heard that his daughter was dead. Jesus simply said, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. believe. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your word. Your word is more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. Because we know that it's true. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name. That you have given us everything that we need. To overcome the devil at every hand. We have within us the power of God. Necessary. To conquer anything and everything he throws at us. So Mr. Devil. Throw your worst. Do the most and the worst that you can. We'll just stay steady. Quiet and confident. And watch the strength. That's available to us. through the precious blood of Jesus. We'll see that see us through. We know it's not a matter of our flesh. We know it's not a matter of our energy. We just simply believe the word. So we refuse to fear. We shall only believe. Thank you, Father, that that's sufficient to see us through anything and everything. Amen. Folks, those scriptures are true for you. And quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.